Thank you so much, David. I hope you're enjoying the story of Nehemiah. If you're a guest or maybe back with us, um, this is our fourth week. We've been taking a, a, a chapter at a time to explore the story of Nehemiah. We've been doing it uh, with the youth as well, so Connect, they're exploring this passage as well. We've been exploring it with Thrive in recent weeks as well. Chapter four then, the threat from outside. God had given Nehemiah a vision to rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem, a special city for God's people. But the journey from vision to reality, as often is the case, was far from simple. This wasn't just an idea of his, but was a God-given vision. And God's given all of us, as his people, a vision too. So we talk about vision or purpose. Some of us might have a real sense of vision and purpose of exactly what God has called us to do at the moment, a particular front line to serve on, a particular people group to serve or be praying for. But all of us, as God's people, are included in the vision that God has for us. Jesus' parting words in the Gospel of Matthew to his disciples were, go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And he gave them a promise as well, that the Holy Spirit was always going to be with them, a promise that we can cling on to as well. I wonder what you think of when you think of vision and purpose. For me, I believe God has given me a vision to play my part in helping mobilize the church to reach and raise the next generation for Jesus, and personally to do my bit in doing that as well. Now, there are times when I feel full of energy and on fire and fully mobilized for this, but there are also times when it feels like the wind has gone from my sails. Maybe you can relate to that. There have been times when perhaps you come away from such encouraging times, like DTI, the time we had in the summer, or other significant events you've been to, a particular special weekend with other believers, something like a, a Keswick or a new wine or a spring harvest or a soul survivor or a really special time with your small group or your baptism or a time when God's really so clearly spoken to you through his word or out in creation. Or maybe there's been other times when it just feels like the momentum has gone. The Bible sets out a vision for all of us to play our part in the rebuilding of God's kingdom, the building of his kingdom. We might phrase it in different ways. In our church, we like to use the phrase that we're called to help people to commit to and become more like Jesus. We might talk about being witnesses wherever we are, or simply the vision, the call to obey the commandment to love God and love others. There is a vision for all of us as God's people. The challenge from the chapter we've just heard read, chapter 4 of Nehemiah, is holding on to the vision and moving forward even when opposition is inevitable. And until Jesus comes again, and he will, resistance in one form or another is inevitable for God's people. So let me recap where we are. We've thought about vision. We recap where we are. In chapter 1, Nehemiah, a Jewish exile in Susa, in Persia, discovered via his brother the state of Jerusalem in approximately 445 BC. God's people had been in exile, and the first few groups had started coming back, led by Zerubbabel and Ezra. And they made their way back and discovered that the walls really were in ruins and its gates really had been burned. What was Nehemiah's reaction? Well, he cried and he cried and he cried, and then he prayed. 
We get into chapter 2, about four months later, and Nehemiah had made a careful plan. He was sad before the king. He was often before the king because he was his cupbearer. And the king asked why. And Nehemiah explained and asked for permission to go to Jerusalem, making special requests to go through certain land and be provided with certain materials to help him with this rebuild. He made the journey of about a thousand miles and discreetly at night inspected the walls of Jerusalem. And they were indeed in ruins. He shared this with some of the Jewish people, and despite opposition, they were ready to rebuild, saying, let's start rebuilding. Chapter 3, we looked at last week, we read about the detail of the rebuilding of the walls. This was an all-in-this-together project for God's people. We read about the names of those involved, all playing their part, many of them right where they were, doing the next bit they could outside the place where they lived. We read of the opening work being dedicated to the Lord as Project Rebuild gets underway. Some of you might have come across the phrase, completer, finisher. You get some people who are great with ideas. They're great at pioneering things, but they don't often bring something to completion. You might be thinking of someone sat near you. And there are others who love to see a project through to completion, including the final details. I wonder if you've come across this story It's a bridge in Durban, designed in the 60s to help ease traffic congestion, built in the 70s, but due to budget constraints, this stopped in 1977 and has stayed like this ever since, an unfinished project. Well, spoiler alert, the walls of Jerusalem do get built, but in chapter 4, we see some serious threats to this vision being completed, being fulfilled. It's good to be reminded that God promises to finish what he's started. In fact, he promises to bring completion the good work that he started in believers like me and like you. We might not always be complete finishers, but God is. In this message, I want to highlight what the threats were to Nehemiah to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem, and the threats that we might have for our own sense of momentum of playing our part in being kingdom builders, in living out the vision that God's given to us individually as households and as his people together. Here's the four threats we're going to look at. We're going to look at the threat of ridicule. We're going to look at the physical threat of the troublemakers. We're going to look at the fatigue and discouragement that threaten to stop the rebuilding. And we're going to look at the potential frontal attacks, the kind of ongoing threat that there was. So threat number one, ridicule. Sambala and Tobiah, two officials, two governors, were very clearly threatened by the arrival and the plans of Nehemiah. Their anger led to ridicule. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah joins in with others listening in around what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down, with, break down their wall of stones. In essence, what they were saying was, with totally inadequate materials and manpower, the Jews are naively taking on an impossible task. There's some fuel to get you going. Some way to take the wind out of your sails as the project continues. Ridicule and mocking was the first threat 
I wonder if you've ever felt ridiculed or mocked as you sought to step up for God, to live out your faith on your front line. This ridicule came from non-believers, and we do get some strange looks and comments as we set to live out our life differently for Jesus, don't we? What do you mean you're still going to church? You really aren't going to have sex until you're married. You believe that Jesus is the only way to knowing God. You invited them into your house. Do you not know who they are and what they've done? You're doing that because you think God spoke to you. No, I don't want you to pray for me. How weird. Or perhaps in more respectful and subtle ways. You're, you're trusting in a book that was written 2,000 years ago or simply some different looks or expressions that come your way as you seek to live out your faith. This external ridicule can come not only from voices of individuals, many of whom we know and value, but from the sneaky, deceptive voice of the devil who seeks to discourage God's people. Nehemiah, once again, responds with prayer. Not necessarily a model prayer that we might copy and paste into our services or own prayer life each week, but Nehemiah responds by calling down God's judgment. Yes, he leaves vengeance to God in verses 4 to 5, but it's clear that he hopes that God's going to get them. Perhaps we're not going to copy this prayer, and we might look to some other prayers from the New Testament, but it by no means sits on its own. If you read through the Psalms, you'll see many prayers similar to this. Check them out if you'd like to. These prayers by the likes of David and Nehemiah were in line with God's covenant promises that those who curse the Lord and his people would themselves be cursed. I want to suggest that when ridicule comes, that we can respond by praying. As a 17-year-old, I was attempting, hoping to reach out to those in my school community. I was part of the Christian Union, and we ran a little missions week. Now, one of the events we did was a guerrilla Christian event. First, I need to clarify that we weren't going to barbecue a Christian, but we were going to invite people to come and ask their questions to a group of Christians. Uh, We prayed about the event. We invited lots of people to the event. Much to our surprise, there was about 60 people that crammed into this RE room, and we were just getting ready to set up and we were serving out some food, and some food was not only being consumed, but started to be thrown around a little bit. We opened up the event, and it was full of ridicule. It was full of mocking. There wasn't much respect, and food was thrown at us. We were disappointed, discouraged. What did we do? Well, we actually had some things to clear up, but we did pray, and we did continue. And God did use that week. I think of one friend in particular, for whom it would have been a significant week, who is now a believer in Jesus. Nehemiah, from the ridicule and the mocking, they prayed. That's the first threat. The second threat is the physical threat of the troublemakers. The building of the walls of Jerusalem slowly but surely continued, and the wall reached half its height, verse 6 tells us, when the threat steps up. Now plans were made to fight and stir up trouble, verse 8 tells us, by Sambala, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people from Ashdod. They'd switched from mockery to conspiring to war. With those from Ashdod now involved, they had enemies from all directions. You had from the north, Sambala, from the south, the Arabs, from the east, Tobiah, and from the west, Ashdod. This might not be the case for all believers in every country, but we do know that for many believers in Jesus around the world, the consequences of following Jesus, of trying to be a kingdom 
builder is actually physical threat and danger to life. We can think of our Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan at this time. But like we've seen before, Nehemiah's approach was to pray and to prepare. This time, to prepare and be ready for attack. You see, faith and hard work for Nehemiah go hand in hand, reliance on God and sensible precautionary measures. The precautionary measures for him began with a guard, and they prayed, verse 9 tell us. Perhaps our threat is not a physical one, but there is a threat to our faith. Sometimes it comes in the form of trying to please others, trying to fit in, the fear of missing out. Just as Nehemiah stationed a guard day and night to guard against the work of the enemy who wants to threaten us and lead us away from living for Jesus. So we need to think, how can we be on guard? Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he's aware of the threat to the faith of the early believers. And he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers, this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I wonder when the last time you acknowledged that we were in a spiritual battle was, that the enemy wants to cause trouble in our lives as individuals, as households, as a church. I wonder what helps you to stand firm in faith, maybe spiritual habits key to our life as disciples, aren't they? Gathering together, prayer buddies, people we're open and honest with and confess where we've gone wrong with, focusing what's good and helpful. Let us stand firm as we look to rebuild together as a church. That was threat number two. Threat number three, fatigue and discouragement. You ever felt like you've just had enough? You're tired and you're discouraged. Life is hard and painful and prayers haven't been answered in the way that you would have liked. Life's got messy and complicated and your strength is giving out. Your faith and resilience is weak. Well, that's how the laborers felt in verse 10 of Nehemiah chapter 4. The rebuild itself, chapter 6 tells us, took 52 days, which is impressively short, but it wouldn't have felt the case halfway through. Fatigue had set in, and the builders were surrounded by discouragement and threats. The rebuilding of the walls was not just bricks and mortar, but a sign of recovery, of renewal, of restoration of the people of God. As we prayed earlier, we're in a season of seeking recovery, renewal, and restoration. I want to say there have been moments in the last 18 months when I felt fatigued and like my strength has given out. Tired and discouraged and frustrated and broken. Anyone relate? After these threats in verse 12, we read, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Sometimes it's been like we got through one thing and then there's something else right behind it. Got through one family member isolating and then another one needs to. Got through one tricky situation and then another one. Got through one bereavement and then someone else is critically ill that you know and love. We can all feel tired and like our strength is giving out. But let me encourage you as believers that we find our strength in the Lord. Jesus has gathered and will continue to gather a broken, sinful, weary, and tired people and provide all that we need to live for him. He wants to breathe the wind of his spirit into our sails again so we can play our part in being kingdom builders here on earth as in heaven. 
He also wants us, his people, to be part of the strength givers, the voices of encouragement and faith to one another. The power of encouragement is undervalued and underpracticed. As we seek to rebuild as a church community, one key area we can all contribute in is with encouraging one another. Encouragement in what Jesus has done for us. Encouragement to keep going in faith, in service, in witness, in prayer. Encouragement in the gifts that God has given to each and every one of us. You're tired and weary? You're in the right place. You're among others who are tired and weary. We bring it all to the Lord Jesus who gives us strength and by his spirit wants to put the wind in our sails again. That's threat number three. Threat number four is the threat of potential frontal attacks. Now, I love getting into the Bible, and I have to say I also love wide games. This is a picture uh, from a wide game we played at the Little Church Day Out. There he is, Gavin Jones, really going for it there. Now, uh, the idea of this particular wide game, War of the Worlds, is you have one area to defend as a team and one area to attack as a team. Now, I would have loved to have had Nehemiah on my team because he was strategic. He could see where the weak points were. He could see the areas where they might have been penetrated and he was ready. He had a plan. He had a strategy. If you're good at War of the Worlds, you've got at least one person on your team who's got a strategic mind who can help you defend and attack. Nehemiah had made plans to defend against these potential ongoing future frontal attacks of those who are seeking to oppose him. Let me just highlight some of the things that we can read in that second half of the chapter. He had a strategy of defense at weak points where the wall was lowest. He positioned people with swords, spears, and bows there, verse 13 tells us. Nehemiah had half the men working and half the men specifically on defense, verse 16 tells us. Workers had a weapon in one hand and a tool in the other hand, verse 17 and 18 tell us. Now, you might think, how did that work? Perhaps they put it down for a moment, but they had them to hand, ready to be prepared for both situations. A trumpet was sounded, ready to call for help to rally the troops once they were all spread out working around the walls. And they were on guard during the night. They were always ready, day and night. Like Jesus said, be on your guard. wonder what the lessons are for us thinking that through. But Nehemiah also pointed to the God in whom they could trust. He pointed to the God in whom they could trust. In verse 14, after he looked things over, he stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the believers, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. He didn't deny the threats, the difficulties, present and future, but Nehemiah helped God's people to lift their eyes to the Lord. See, a proper view of God puts all things in their right perspective. A proper view of God allows us to move forward to all that God's calling us to do. That's why worshipping together is so helpful. It reminds us of who our God is, the God who is awesome and great. The God who, verse 20 says, fights for us. Remember that, church family, as we look to rebuild together. So in Nehemiah chapter 4, we see threats to the mission of God's people, to the task of God's people. We see the threats of ridicule, the threats of physical threats that was put against Nehemiah and his people. 
We see the fatigue and discouragement and weariness, and we see the ongoing threats that they were prepared for. I wonder what's connected with you as I've been speaking. As we look to rebuild as a church, and as we look to play our part in the building of God's kingdom, we need the encouragement of God's word. We need a view of who God is, great and awesome, the one who fights for his people. We also need to be on guard, both practically and prayerfully, ready to defend against external threats from the enemy, being practically careful, thorough, and diligent in our planning, looking out for those who are particularly vulnerable and need that word of encouragement, who maybe are isolated. Picture someone building on the wall. They're isolated and there's a threat coming. Can we get alongside each other? Prayerful in our own weaknesses. We need to come to the Lord who is awesome and great, knowing our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle. So church, would you play your part with us as we look to rebuild? Would you play your part home? Would you play your part for those who are with us? Would you play your part in prayer, ongoingly praying that God would help us as we look to rebuild? We pray together as a church on a Saturday morning, once a month, the next prayer meeting. We're still using Zoom for that, so many people can join in. That's next Saturday at nine. Why don't you join in with that? Could you play your part by being an encourager, getting alongside people, encouraging one another in what Jesus has done for us, in our faith, in who he's called us to be? And Would you play your part maybe practically in some of those areas that Ellen outlined earlier? I wonder when it comes to a sense of vision and purpose, if you feel like the wind is in your sails or if you feel like you've lost momentum when it comes to living out what God has called us to do. May his word strengthen us, a view of who God is, encourage us, and his people surround us. In the book of James, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Let's take a moment to pray. I want to pray the simple prayer I've put on the screen for us. After that, I want to leave you a moment to think, how do you want to pray to respond? What is it that God's stirring in your heart? So Lord, we pray, lead us forward to continue to live out the mission of Jesus. Defend us from the attempts of the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And help us to play our part in building your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a moment of quiet to pray for yourself.